Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again everybody and welcome to another edition of the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, here in New York City, joined via Skype by another human being. I can't believe it, and neither can you, but it's true, and it's not only any other human being. It is actually TPE founding member, our very own Killing Bird, Derek Tenbush, joining me. How are you, Derek? I'm doing great, Clayton. How are you? Oh, thanks so much for coming on. I started to feel like maybe I was going crazy, like sitting in a padded cell talking to myself for the last four <laughs> weeks. <laughs> so it's it's good to have another voice besides yeah, mine. For sure. Yeah. So what's no, been going yeah, on? I'm excited to be on. Um, not too much, you know, just kind of kind of on the grind as always, and then um, uh, of course getting ready to to head to Vegas in uh, I guess exactly one week from today. Wow. So yeah. I. I've sort of been like mentally preparing, but I've done little, very little of the actual preparation, like you know, packing and doing laundry and just little things like that. So, uh, at some point this week, uh, I'm gonna start getting everything boxed up and ready to go. Yeah, loose ends to tie up uh, because you're yeah. you're hopefully gonna be out there for a little while. What are your plans exactly? So I'm flying in on the 29th uh, of May, but I only I bought a one-way ticket. Nice. So I'm not really exactly sure when I'm coming back. I suspect I'll be out there at least two weeks. Um, oh, how much cool. longer than that? Uh, I'm not totally sure. It's kind of the first time where I don't even have a schedule. Like I've always sold action in the past, but this year I'm not selling any action, or I'm, I'm not selling much. And when I do, it's going to literally be like day of. So I'm like I have no schedule other than the fact that I know I'm playing the big fifty when I get there. And then after that, it's just going to be like, wake up, look at the schedule and go, well, do I want to go to the Rio? Do I want to go to the win? What do I want to do? Yeah. So, you know, for those yeah, who so. fantasize about being able to have a bunch of backers and selling a lot of action to things like you might not realize, like in a way, you kind of feel obligated when you are backed to play those tournaments that those backers are hoping to get a piece of. So if you wake up one day and you might not feel like playing, but you might say, well, I owe it to my backers to give them the action. Uh, you know, it's there's there's a certain freedom in not having to answer to anyone, but the price for that freedom is when you lose, you lost all your money. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's kind of a unique feeling because I've I've always sold at least a little something uh, every year, um, and you know you put this long list of tourneys together and you're all optimistic about what you're going to do, and then all of a sudden one day you wake up and you're sick or you're just tired or hungover or you know whatever comes up and you're just like man I just don't feel like playing poker today. But you kind, like you said, you kind of feel obligated to, so you'll sort of push yourself to playing when you're not, when it's not ideal for you to be doing so. Um, so I'm excited about the idea of just like, you know, if I want to sit by the pool all day, cool. If I want to go grind a tournament, that's cool too. Um, so I'm gonna, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna see how it goes, and, and hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll bink some things and we'll be out there a lot longer. Yeah, but it's cool that you get to play it by ear, as it were, because yeah. you know you don't really have a schedule that you need to adhere to. And you can just trust your gut on a given day. Uh, hopefully, you don't have anything scheduled for June 1st, because May 31st is the TPE meetup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm stoked for the meetup, as always. And I, there's a chance I play whatever flight of the, the 
big fifty that is the next day. It's possible I play that day, but if I do, it'll be a it'll be a late reg, right? And uh, hungover, and I probably won't yeah. be in the greatest of conditions. <laughs> yeah, but that's a kind of a perfect example. You know, it's like I would have certainly sold bullets for that, and then you know you, you end up getting hungover, and you gotta either you got call you gotta tell your backers, hey, sorry, I I'm, I'm hungover, and that always makes them feel great, um, or you just gotta go play and bad conditions so it's a perfect example of, of what i'm you know kind of what i'm hoping is going to be a little more comfortable situation for me this year it, it's also the other thing that ends up happening is you wake up you know sometimes you wake up and your buddy is you know you're, I, I'm, I'm living with three other guys this year and they might be like oh man you know we're going to play this really cool tournament that's happening at the win or whatever and you're like oh shit i sold action for planet hollywood today you know see you guys have fun yeah and this way you could kind of be like because and, and there's things that like develop too, you know, like that you don't even know about really. Like I remember one year I played the Binions main event, <laughs> and it was like nobody like it, it wasn't even on anybody's radar until like a day or two before, and it was all of a sudden I was like, oh, we got to go play this. It's gonna be a bunch of sixty year old dudes, you know, like it's the perfect tournament. Of course, I got there and it ended up being like every shark had heard about it by then, and and it just ended up being a sharky tournament instead. Word travels uh, fast. Yeah. But, you know, those are the kind of things that the flexibility is nice for. You know, when something pops up where you're like, oh, I bet you that's going to be a good value. Let's go play that instead. Yeah. So you're heading out there in a week. And yep. uh, you you said you have some prep to do, which, I mean, of course, you have to do your laundry and maybe, like, take care of bills and stuff like that. So you're not thinking about that sort of thing. But uh, what else do you do to prepare for uh, an uh, as yet undetermined length of time in Las Vegas? <laughs> yeah. So it used to be a lot more difficult because i used to have to basically pack up a month and a half's worth of tpe stuff for the trip right so you know hats t-shirts stickers and the, especially the year that we had a booth at the rio then it was really complicated because it was like you know everything for the booth had to be shipped out there as well um this year luckily with it being probably a little bit of a shorter trip and the fact that i had i had moved to vegas so everything that i had tpe wise i actually left uh, with Dylan, who's a, a friend of mine and a, and a TPE pro, actually. So I just left all the T-shirts, hoodies, all that stuff with him. So thankfully, I don't have to get that out there this year. That's kind of the nice part. Um, but I still plan to do some like online stuff while I'm out there, streaming and also playing. Um, and of course, I got to you know do TPE stuff. So I have to pack up my computer and monitors and keyboard and mouse and bring all that stuff because I pretty much can't do that all that from a laptop. Um, so getting all that stuff out there and then the rest of it is basically just basically not so much preparing to be in Vegas, but preparing to not be here. <laughs> right. So, you know, like just basically making sure that anything that needs to be done in the next two to three weeks is done in advance. Um, and of course, you know, spending a little quality time with the family and, uh, and shoring up uh, some stuff with the distillery, which I'm working on, and, and just so that so I can basically put that to bed, go to Vegas, and focus on being in Vegas. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I'm so excited. I can hardly wait. I've been saying for weeks on this podcast that I, I'm counting the days. Uh, you know, there's nothing in the whole year that I look forward to more than, you know, what we all affectionately call summer camp. And yeah. this year, I'm basically going to be there for the whole thing. I have a little like six days in the middle where I'm going to, I have a couple of comedy gigs that I have to go do. Otherwise, uh, you know, TPE nation, your boy is going to be out there grinding. I'll be tweeting. Uh, I'll be letting you guys know what's going on. I, I intend to keep this podcast going throughout the world series of poker. 
Uh, and for as long as Derek is there, I'm going to force him to record with me again, <laughs> either in a hotel room to be named or at the... Uh, now, is this place where you're staying, can we call it the TPE house or are the other guys not affiliated? Well, Mark Eliotto will be there with Oh, me. okay, great. Um, but then the other two guys are not TPE affiliated. But then you also sort of have this, like, what ends up happening is everybody just kind of hangs out there. So, you know, you'll have Carlos will swing by, um, Ben will swing by. Like, all the, all the TPE guys just kind of come in and out and, and come and go. So I, I always kind of still refer to it as the TPE house, even though not everybody there is necessarily affiliated Right, but no one there is actually opposed to TPE, so we're okay. No. Yeah, yeah well, we're, we're safe. Yeah, so if, yeah, if you want to come over and we can record by the pool or something. It'll be that perfect. would be amazing. Yeah, that, that sounds cool. Um, sure, we'll have lots of hands to discuss. And uh, speaking of hands, we're going to get into some hands. I know a lot of people have been following. I've been reviewing last year's main event uh, basically from day one, and now we're at the final table. I'm down to four players. I've been picking kind of the hands that I found interesting. Um, and going through them, uh, we'll get to that later. But I also wanted to talk about some of the prep that I've been doing. Um, I'm in the best shape of my life right now. I, and I, you know, I know that's something that baseball players say every single spring <laughs> when they show up for spring training. But I feel so good. Like I'm getting more exercise than usual. I'm eating really well. Um, yeah, I'm just really trying to take care of myself. And I always do this. I, I push in May to try to make sure that I can just try to optimize myself physically because I feel like how I feel physically is step one towards me playing well. And especially, you know, if I make it to day seven of the main event a month and a half from now, I'm going to need to have my strength and I'm yep. going to need to be able to focus. So I've been taking care of myself, eating well, um, all that kind of stuff. I've been doing some of this mindset stuff like visualizing, having success, um, and all this kind of hocus-pocus. What I think it really does for me, though, is just kind of help me in my head. I'm almost like practicing, you know, not just playing mm -hmm. hands, but practicing in my head, like what happens if the guy hits his two-outer? Okay, right. that's probably going to happen. With the number of hands I expect to play, I'm going to play like $50,000 worth of buy-ins this summer. Like I'm definitely going <laughs> yeah. to take a few bad beats on some of them. Yeah, if you don't get two out at least once in that period, you've you've probably won a race slip by the end of the summer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, kind of just like mentally visualizing it and picturing myself, you know, moving forward from that and not, you know, berating the guy or you know, obsessing about it for hours and hours afterwards. Um, even picturing myself possibly making a mistake. Uh, you know, maybe I misplay a hand like you need to be able to move on. Because it's not like a cash game. In a cash game, you can say, wow, I really screwed that hand out. Let me go outside, get some fresh air, take a walk. You do that in a tournament, you're missing blinds and antes, so you can't really afford it. So you just got to like stay in there like a prize fighter and just keep taking the punches and try to get back on your feet. So I, you know, I'm kind of picturing some of that. Um, I'm almost finished reading Alex Fitzgerald's book, Exploitative Play and Live Poker, which I think is a really great book to read. Um, you know, preparing for the uh, for the for all the live poker I'm about to go play. Of course, Alex Fitzgerald Assassinato, one of our coaches at TPE. He's a, he's really really smart, knows his stuff. So yeah, I've heard great things about that book, and I have actually have not read it yet. But maybe I'll make that my uh, my airplane reading material because almost every time I I go out there, I usually download a book on my iPad and 
oh, and yeah. work my way through it. So that'll be that'll be actually be perfect timing. I definitely would recommend it, Derek. I mean, this book is really great. It kind of affirmed for me a few things that I do. Like one one point that he makes in the book. I'm not going to give away all the secrets in the book, but one of the points that he makes in the book is uh, if everybody at the table thinks you're an idiot, then there's a strong possibility you're doing something right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because nowadays, like what has become standard is that everybody plays exactly the same way. So this book is about exploitative play, which is not GTO, which is putting yourself at risk of being exploited, knowing that you probably won't and making adjustments to your game that will help you maximize your profit as opposed to just avoiding, you know, being being open to being exploited. So it's another way of looking at it for those of us that have spent a lot of time with like PioSolver and whatever other programs there are out there, Card Runners EV, uh, and you like to play with those things to find out like mathematically what's correct. This book is more about the human side and like knowing what those things are, when and how should we divert from them, and and yeah, what effect cool. that has. Yeah, it's a really great book. I highly recommend it. Uh, I'm not being paid to say that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Alex is a friend of mine, but you know, he's not giving me kickback for plugging his book on yeah. my podcast. Um, but who is getting kickback right now? I don't know if it's okay with you if we talk about this, but Matt Stout's charity CSOP is getting some kickback from some tweets I've been making about Bally's Vegas. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I wanted to publicize what happened to me because I've basically given yeah. up on getting a dime out of them even though I feel like they're at least partly to blame for what happened in my burglary. So, um, and if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, just go back and listen to old episodes. We're not going to rehash it all again. I've been talking about it for a month. Uh, but uh, basically, uh, I've, I've came to uh, the realization that they're just giving me the runaround and they don't have any intention of trying to make things right with me. So I said, look, I want to get the word out about this and tell people what happened. So if you go to my Twitter, Clayton Comic, and you see my pinned tweet is the story of what happened to me at Bally's Vegas. And for each retweet, I'm going to donate a dollar to the CSOP, up to 500 It's already almost at 300 Derek. A lot uh, of people have heard this story or read this story on Twitter. So <laughs> has, it, has it forced Bally's to respond again, or are they just no. completely in ignore them? I'm sure they're, at this point their lawyers are probably literally like, don't say anything. Yeah. Ignore, ignore, ignore. Yeah, it's got to so be getting hard. Though. It's got to be getting hard to ignore because you know, five hundred thousand people have seen my tweet already. Especially because, I mean, let's be realistic: five grand, or even if they were like, "Hey, we'll give you you know half back or whatever," like it's nothing to them. <laughs> yeah, compared to what they're losing from all the people not. Yeah. It's yeah. Just, it's insane to me. Yeah. But maybe they just feel like if they. If they suddenly do that, then it's like kind of like they're admitting fault, and then all of a sudden that opens up other doors. I'm not sure, but yeah, I mean, right. That's what it is. There's a million companies out there that don't know how to run uh, a PR issue, so yeah, I'm not at all shocked. Yeah, I'm not shocked either, but I am I am disappointed because you know I have been a customer of Caesar's yeah. Entertainment for many years, and there's no security at the elevators. So basically, anybody can get into the elevator at Bally's and do whatever he wants on the floor of the hotel, and there's no evidence against that person. So they have lots and lots of cameras down on the casino floor when they're watching their money, but when it comes to my money, they don't care. So yeah, it's crazy. that's a pretty clear message they're sending to everybody, and I'm making sure that message is getting out to the public. So 
Uh, I like it. Yeah, like so it. there you go. I figure I, that's one way I can maybe hit them where it counts. While at the same time, I'm pledging. I love what Matt Stout has done. You know, he's done a lot to help children with cancer, and I just I can't think of a better cause. Yeah, dying kids, dude. Right. It's dying yeah, I mean, kids. So come on. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a win-win as far as I'm concerned. Except if you're Bally's, hopefully it's a win-win-lose. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so everybody get your, everybody get in there and get your retweet on. Yeah, exactly. Please do. Screw you, Bally's. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you said Carlos is going to be showing his face. You know, I think I just asked him the other day, and I believe he answered me, and I don't remember what the <laughs> answer was. Yeah, you know, to me, TPE um, is is you, it's Mark, it's Carlos. Like that's what that's what I want to see. Now I'm still trying to arrange my schedule. I didn't think I would be able to get out there. Until June first, so there's a strong chance that I'm going to miss the meetup, uh, which would suck. But it's just you know the nature of things here. I have to do my job too. So yeah, for sure. But well, we can just uh, we'll just do like a TP party part two, like a couple days after you get out there. Absolutely. Now that I know you're going to stay for two weeks or so at least, I'm glad yeah. to see that you you know you freed up a little more time, and hopefully you know things will go well for you and you can end up staying the whole time like I will. Um, and all that, but yeah, I mean, I know these parties are epic, and it would just be so great to meet some of the people that I've been interacting with so much on Twitter. Um, I really love the way that we can have direct conversations with the listeners on Twitter. I think that really improves the uh, experience of being a podcaster, at least for me. Yeah, it's super cool. I, I, and all the feedback has been so positive, too, which is great. Uh, I actually had somebody come into my uh, my Twitch chat the other night and was talking about the podcast, and he said, I can't believe I even like the episodes where it's just Clayton. <laughs> he, he was like, I remember when the first time he said, it's just going to be me solo today. I was He was thinking that it was like, oh, that's not going to be that, that great. Sucks. But he, yeah. ended up, he, he ended up loving it. So uh, It means a lot. Yeah, I, I'm not confident about doing those solo episodes. I mean, you know, Derek and I were talking before we started recording. Like, you know, I'm, I'm used to having an audience, some kind of audience in the comedy club. So if I say something, I get a reaction right away. And then you can kind of have a conversation with the people that are listening, even though, you know, of course, in the comedy club, they're only supposed to say ha ha ha. Well, yeah, when you're sitting there talking into a microphone by yourself for an hour and I have literally no way of knowing how it's being received at all. Like I'm talking about a poker hand and the guy on the other end could just be like, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> At least if it's you, you can tell me I'm an idiot because yeah. we're on here together. So, um, hey, Speaking of poker and comedy, I, w- I actually meant to ask you this at some point off the air, but I might as well just ask now. I assume that since you're not probably not going to be out there for the meetup, that you're also not going to be there for the Gavin Smith oh, that's comedy heartbreaking. show. Yeah. I mean, of course, they asked me to do it. And, you know, I love Joe Stapleton. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's like one of my best friends in the world. And uh, he he really tried – very hard to guilt trip me into doing it. I actually knew Gavin, yeah, uh, and all that, but it just I cannot make it work with my schedule. I mean, I have obligations here that need to be satisfied. So, unfortunately, yeah, I won't be there. But Stapes will be there. Um, ben Ludlow, who, uh, if you guys saw us with Norm McDonald in the Bahamas, Ben Ludlow was also on that show. He's a very funny guy. He's actually going to be performing with me here in New York. On Friday, this coming Friday, the 24th. Oh, cool. Yeah, so which may or may not be the day this episode is released. So, yeah, there there are comics that I know that are going to be there, but nope, you won't see me that night, unfortunately. Damn. Well, I think we're still going to go. Mark could hit me up and ask me if, if we were going to go to that because we, we both have talked about how much we... 
I mean, we, we I don't think either of us knew. I I didn't. I don't think Mark knew him personally, but just through what we've talked about in the past with Poker Road and everything. I mean, in many ways, he sort of blazed the path. Absolutely. For us just things like podcasting. So, uh, so we're, yeah, we're gonna go pay our respects and have some laughs and put some drinks down and. Uh, it should be a good time. Yeah. Good way to kick off the summer, you know? Yeah, it's absolutely. Fun. It's going to be one party after the next. You guys are going to a party, then you're throwing a party. I know, right? Are you going to play any poker? Yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> like an hour or two a day before we punt. Yeah, it's going to be Reno all over again. <laughs> yeah. I would not shock me at all, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> That's okay. You don't have backers to answer to, so it's fine. That's right. <laughs> That's sure. what it's all about. You're an independent man. Yep. Love it. All right. Well, do you want to talk about the uh, final table with me? Yeah, let's get into it. All right. So I picked out a couple of hands. I don't know how many of these we'll get through tonight, but uh, you know it's all about quality and not quantity anyway. Uh, we've been talking about the 600,000, 1.2 million level. There's also a 200 ante, 200,000 ante. So uh, the starting pot is 2.6 million. Uh, there are four players left. And your chip leader is Tony Miles, and second in chip is Michael Dyer. So Dyer and Miles have been swapping the chip lead back and forth a little bit, despite the fact that they have completely different styles. Uh, Miles is a very cautious player, um, takes his time, and generally makes the conservative decision. And Dyer has been as much of a final table, big stack bully, maniac type as we've ever seen at any final table in recent memory. So these two guys have all the chips. Next is John Sin in distant third place with only 52 million. So remember, second place has 144 million, and John Sin has 52 million in third place. And then there's Nick Mannion with only 18 million. Okay. So uh, those, those are your four players. You got the haves and the have nots, if you will. Yeah. Uh, so with 2.6 million in the pot, and Michael Dyer, our bully guy. By the way, on this podcast and elsewhere, I've been saying how well I think he played. Uh, he really took advantage of other people's fear. Uh, so he opens to, uh, let's see, yeah. So he, Dyer opens to 2.4 million, the minimum. Uh, Sin folds, and Miles, the other big stack, actually the chip leader, three bets to. 9.6 million. Now, I want to do it this way, if it's okay, Derek. I'd like to tell you only one of these players' hands. Oh, that works. Okay, so Dyer opened on the button with King of Hearts, Queen of Diamonds. So he's got King-Queen offsuit. Now he gets three bet from the chip leader in the big blind. And three bet large. It went from 2.4 to 9.6. Yeah, that's big. Now, given Tony Miles' table image... As I mentioned earlier, he's been relatively cautious. We have not seen like a single light three bet from him. Do we want to call? I mean, I think with Miles being this tight so far, anyway, um, and the size of that raise, I mean, I'm probably gonna fold. I think I would call King Queen suited. Okay, so it's really just close. It's, gonna be, it's just going to be so much easier to play. Yeah, I think. But I mean, I do think it is close. I mean, we're four-handed. Yeah, we're that's deep. that's the thing. Where it's so deep, you're in position on the button, and you're four-handed. So that's where it becomes 
I can make a case for folding, obviously, but I could definitely make a case for calling too. Yeah, I I definitely wouldn't be mad at either option. I think the tipping point for me is the fact that we just haven't seen Miles do this. Um, Yeah. Now, if there was some, you know, I'm trying to think of a scenario that makes me think, okay, this is not necessarily a strong hand for Miles. So if it's something like, I just, I don't know. We just came back from break, and I know that Miles has now watched a bunch of hands, (laughs) had, had his friends tell him hands from an hour ago or whatever and now he's uh so now he's fed up because he knows i'm opening everything i'm <laughs> you know that everything i'm getting dealt maybe that would swing it but well let me jump in here because about that um dyer's been doing this since day four i mean he's been wildly uh aggressive and i don't mean that he's playing poorly he's just been playing kind of the traditional hyper aggressive style which right. is like he's really going for almost every pot um and and everybody knows it right now. Like the 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 cat's out of the bag now with four players left in the tournament. Yeah. Like well, this guy's been playing this way forever. So it, there is he has to think in the back of his mind. Sooner or later, these guys are going to push back. It just feels like no one ever has. Yeah. The only reason he ever lost the chip lead was because he flopped bottom two against bottom set. Right. Yeah. If, I that. if that hadn't happened, he probably would still have the chip lead even now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess the question is with these with these. With the third and fourth place stacks being so far behind them, I'm just not sure if I'm dire. I'm expecting Miles to want to clash with me right. when these two other guys are relatively sure. And I don't know how many big blinds those guys actually have. Yeah, you know, not many. Like a, I mean, uh, you know, uh, let's see. Mannion has uh, an M of 11. He's got 28 million. He's got 14 big blinds. Okay. Yeah, so... I mean that's the shortest stack. So I mean the, and then of course, uh, John Sin has him covered by double. So Sin's okay, but Mannion's really short. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's just it seems like a bad time for Miles to be doing this light. Um, that being said, if I'm Miles, like this doesn't really kill me to do this. It's, you know, it's, it's only 9.6 of your hundred and whatever million, you know? He, yeah. So you might even just do this as sort of a game flow type thing, you know, like where you want to be like, Hey, you know, just so you know, I'm not going to let you do this every single time. It, even if it means you have to fold now, you know, like if we get, if we get four bet and we just have to fold, at least we're kind of like laying the law down a little bit saying, Hey, I'm, I'm capable of doing this. In fact, I did it with a hand that I had to fold to your four bet. So Stop stop racing my big blind, damn it. Right. Um, now, in so, you know, maybe Maybe for some table image stuff, it, it might just be worth it to invest the chips. But Yeah. Now, in Dyer's shoes, because I haven't seen up until this point that Miles is capable of a light three bet, I have to assume that this is a, a value bet, uh, and especially with the sizing, yeah. um, which might sound like a case for folding. But I think this deep... Knowing that Miles has a value hand, we might be better off calling because he's basically turned his hand over. He said, I have a, a very strong hand, and now I'm about to play it deep stacked against you out of position. Right. So you might want to just call and see what kind of flop you get. I mean, I don't know. I can, I could definitely, as I've thought about this part of this hand for, you know, many hours since I first watched it yesterday, I feel like. 
I can make a case either way. So it's it's very 50-50 to me. I think yeah. in dire shoes, I would most likely call because of the deep stacks and because I can probably outplay Tony Miles. He's not... He hasn't been very creative, and he hasn't really put me in any tough spots at all. Yeah, so far. And the fact that we can put that ICM pressure on him too, I think, makes it a little easier to call. Yeah, um, I mean, uh, we can't you know, actually. Like you're saying like we, he, he, yeah, he yeah. doesn't want to clash with us, right? So, you know, we can play our hand in position. Yeah, I, f- I feel like Miles is likely to check if he doesn't like the flop, and bet if he does. Mm-hmm. And if he checks, I can bet and take it down. Like I really feel like it's uh, very. It seems likely that my post flop skill edge will come into play, even if I know that Miles has a range advantage. Right. Because we're so deep. I mean, don't try this when you have like twenty bigs. But you know, you know, we're playing stacks here. We got big stacks. These guys have a yeah. hundred big blinds, one hundred and fifty big blinds. So, all right. Uh, let's see. So, obviously, we're not going to talk about this hand on the podcast unless Dyer calls. So, he does call. Oh, by the way, we didn't really discuss four betting. I think four betting with this hand would have been a big mistake, especially given how tight Miles has been and how rare three bets from him have been. I think, you know, four betting yeah. should not be considered here, but it should at least be mentioned as uh, one of the other options. All yeah, right. I agree with you. Yeah. So... Dyer calls, and the flop comes. Ace of spades, queen of clubs, seven of diamonds. So ace, queen, seven, rainbow. And so we are playing this hand in dire shoes, so we have middle pair. Also, back door, straight draw, I suppose. Um, yeah, we have three to a straight. There's now 20 million in the pot, and the effective stack is my stack, 138 million. So our SPR is about seven. So we have no intention of getting all in at any point. <laughs> it's just right. way too many chips. Yeah. Uh, Miles C bets into twenty-one million, nine point five million. So how do we play middle pair in this situation? I, mean, I think I, I don't see how we can fold now. I mean, if we're gonna call with this hand and get this flop, we kind of have to. I mean, I, yeah, the ace is is concerning, but. What's the old saying? It's hard to make a pair. Uh, we made one, and it's a pretty good one, and we have a pretty, you know, our kickers are good. Um, I'm going to call here, like, I would say literally 100% of the time. Yeah, I think you have to call. I agree. Like, if you call pre-flop and you hit a, you hit a piece, you can't just fold getting 3-1, to one, better than 3-1 to one on a call. Uh, you know, you're almost priced in, even if you know that Miles has ace-jack or whatever, right? Right, and based on what I remember and what you've described to some degree, I don't necessarily see Miles as the guy who's going to double barrel bluff this board. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. If he doesn't have an ace, yeah. so when we when we call, we're going to find out on the turn. I think. No. Exactly where we stand. Yeah, I mean, if anything, I think there's a pretty good chance he has an ace, just by virtue of the fact that he's c bet. Like the guy has been pretty right. cautious. Like he's not yeah. c betting. Every t- every time he takes the lead pre-flop. Although in fairness, you know, full disclosure, he's hardly ever three bet, even four-handed. So, mm. you know, we don't really have a lot of data to go on as far as how he how he responds to the flop after he's three bet pre-flop. I think it only happened like maybe one or two other times in the entire final table. So, 
not a lot to go on there. So anyway, Dyer does make the call. And so now, uh, with 40 million in the pot, the turn comes the Ace of Hearts. Okay, so now our board is Ace, Queen, Seven, Ace, uh, Padoogie. So don't worry about suits. Uh, we still have second pair, and now the board is double paired. And Miles checks to us. So this is now interesting because if if this was any other card than Ace, pretty much, and Miles checked, I would bet a high percentage of the time for value. But what's interesting about this card is I think Miles can have an ace and check here in an attempt to show weakness because he's trying to get value from some hand that, you know, he he's some range of hands that he's putting Dyer on. Um, and he, I don't think he know I don't think he ever thinks he's going to get three streets by bet, bet, betting. Um, so I think I just think he's going to check this a lot in that situation, but he's also going to check um, with the intent of calling with a lot of hands, no, assuming that he doesn't have an ace. So if he has like jacks here, I think he's going to check call. Really? That's interesting. I think only because it's dire. Yeah. But may, I mean, but maybe not. I don't know, but I guess I guess if I'm dire, I'm I'm not all that stoked just because Miles checks. I guess is my point. Okay. It doesn't make me love my hand all that much more. I mean, I, I guess I like it a little more. <laughs> Such scientific phrases I'm using right, here to describe right. this hand. Um, P.O. Silver, I am not. Um, <laughs> yeah, how yeah, much I, more I, do you like your hand? Do you like your hand more enough to bet? Now that you've been checked to on the turn, do you think I'm, you can get value? I'm kind of well. Originally, when I was thinking he might call with something like jacks, but I'm actually I'm just trying to second guess that. So I'm almost thinking maybe it's best to check here for a bunch of reasons. A, Miles can have an ace and, and do this. Um, so we kind of pot control and everything a little bit. Um, but also, if we do bet, then we, then we do just fold out all the hands we beat. Whereas if we check back and then Miles bets the river, then we can kind of reconsider if we want to call or not. Or we can just bet the river for value if he checks again. If I, I think that makes sense. Well, let me ask you this, Derek. If you were Miles, first to act, and the ace paired on the turn, and you had three aces, would you check? I think to this opponent I would. Okay. All right. Um, although I, I, it does make me, it makes me want to think about what Dyer thinks of Miles' range. Um, like, I mean, I guess. Hmm, I'm trying. Yeah, I'm trying to think about what Dyer thinks of, of Miles' play here. Like, is he, is he thinking he has an ace? I, I don't know. I, I mean, like we did say that he seems like the kind of shut it down. So I feel like I'm kind of contradicting myself a little bit when I say he, he would check an ace here. Or I guess I'm saying I would check an ace here. I don't know that Miles would. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Miles is a pretty straight ahead ABC kind of player for the most part. Yeah. Um, You know, usually when he has it, he bets. And when he doesn't, he checks. Like, he really has not been tricky 
but I would say that I think even the least tricky player will sometimes get spooked by the fact that his hand just got way stronger and just check because they don't know what else to do. Right, right. Like, you know, he'll feel so stupid if he bets and lets Dyer off the hook. Right? Now, that you know, Miles, if he has an ace, should feel pretty certain that his hand is good. Mm-hmm. Unless he has a rotten kicker. But even then, like, how many aces are in this deck? You know what I mean? Right. So... <laughs> Yeah, and I think because he has to know that he's perceived as being a bit tighter, when he barrels that card, like he's just gonna fold out worse hands, like yeah, every time. So yeah, I'm leaning towards a check, but I'm not saying that's what I think Miles would necessarily do. I'm thinking that might be the right thing to do. Okay, so we think it might be correct for Miles to check, and did we also determine that Dyer should check as well? That's where I'm leaning to, yeah. Okay. Uh, pretty much, and, and it's funny because it's kind of for the same reason for both people. <laughs> sure. No, I, I hear you. Yeah. I'm with you 100%. So, yeah, they both do check. And then the river is the seven of spades. So now our final board is ace, queen, seven, ace, seven. So there's two aces, two sevens, and one queen out there. And now Miles fires $27 million into the $40 million pot. I wish I could. Well, actually, I'm kind of glad I can't remember this hand, but because uh, I'm, I mean, I'm excited to find out what he has. I think I would fold here pretty quick, <laughs> and I know that's probably it seems kind of weak, but man, with this, it's just because it's my, like if this was John Sin, I might reconsider. But John Sin was that his name? John? Yeah, John Sin. Okay. Right. Yeah, I knew I had his last name right, but for some reason I thought I messed up his first name. Yeah, he's the um, champ. We're friends on Facebook, John Sin and I. Oh, nice. I've actually spoken to him a couple of times, um, but the last time I chatted with him on Facebook Messenger, um, I asked him to come on the podcast and be a guest, and uh, I haven't heard back from him. So <laughs> I think we're not friends anymore. I'm not sure. So if anybody out there is friends with John Sin, tell him it's fun to come on my pod- podcast yeah. and, and you know talk to me and Derek about how we can be champion next year. <laughs> Great um, guy, by the way. I mean, I spent a lot of time at his table. He seemed cool. Yeah, he's he was so one of my, cool. He was one of my uh, my favorites at that table for sure. Yeah, really cool I, guy. So yeah, I, I feel like he's played this exactly like he has an ace. Like that's what I would be thinking. Yeah. So in Dyer's shoes, you think folding pretty quickly is is right? I think so. Yeah, you know, I agree with you, Derek. And, and this is my rationale. Like I play a style similar to Michael Dyer pretty often and for hours and hours and hours nobody stops me if this is Miles bluffing now that the aces and the sevens have both paired right and this is the moment that he's decided to finally stand up to me after he's let me bully him for three days straight he deserves to bluff me once. He can have right. the pot, you know? Yeah, let him have this one. I'm not going to make him show me the ace. I'm going to believe him. He's earned that with all of the straightforward, tight play that he's done for the last three days. Yeah. So I would fold. Dyer called, and Miles turned over ace-nine of diamonds. So sure enough, he had an ace. He checked it on the turn, and then he value bet it heavy on the river and got paid. And to me, this was the first serious misstep by michael dyer at the final table um he did lose another big pot earlier but you know i think it was very defensible what happened to him that hand was also against tony miles by the way where miles had flopped uh bottom set when dyer had 
uh, bottom two pair. I mean, yeah. those kind of coolers are going to happen. Like, you have right. card removal, and we all know about blockers. Like, it's almost impossible for your opponent to have the set when you have bottom <laughs> two. <laughs> yeah. You know, if it happens, he wins a lot of chips. That's that's life. But in this spot, I think Dyer could have easily saved himself $27 million by just saying, you know what, Miles, if you're bluffing me this one time, you got to, you know, just tip my cap. You got it, okay? Yeah. Yeah, good bluff. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, everybody's talking, everybody, always talks about poker hands as sort of like telling a story and i feel like this hand tells a story that is exactly what you think of it you know what i mean like he's telling you a story and it's 100 percent true 100 percent of the time yeah and he hasn't shown himself to be the type to make up stories that's yeah. the key is like like you said if it were sin or somebody else that's a little bit more creative um yeah you can maybe you know keep him honest a little bit look him up whatever but you know, in this spot, I just think that, um, you know, Dyer understands the math of poker very well. And he also seems to have a good handle on how to have, uh, you know, developed a, a good table image and, and, you know, exploiting his table image and really just you know, a solid aggressive strategy for playing at a table where most players are thinking about pay jumps. And he's been abusing the ICM bubbles left and right. Um, but in this spot, that didn't really come into play because we're just way too deep. No one's even concerned about ICM as far yeah. as this hand is concerned. You're playing against the other chip leader. Yeah. I will say, too, I like the sizing on the river, too, because it's one of those spots where Dyer basically just has a queen or he's folding. Right. So, you know, if you're targeting exactly that to get a call from, then you might as well just go a little bit, a little bit on the bigger side. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I love the sizing. I mean, I think this hand, uh, Miles played... Very well. I like the aggressive three-bet pre-flop with the ace-nine of diamonds. And, you know, mm -hmm. by the way, I like this non-standard big raise pre-flop. You know, you've got a ace-nine of diamonds against a guy that literally opens 100% of the buttons. Yeah. And, you know, you have any type of ace, you might as well bet it. And bet it big because he's also shown that he likes to get sticky and try to call you down all the time. So if he wants to call me, he's going to have to pay a lot. Right, and, and I like the way uh, Miles played this hand from beginning to end. Um, it's hard to screw up when you have three aces. <laughs> <laughs> and then make the boat on the river. Right, right, but yeah, right, exactly. But um, you know, I like the sizing, and I and I like the way the hand was played um, by Tony Miles. I think it was a big mistake. Uh, you know, Dyer could have saved an extra twenty-seven million in chips, which is you know a lot of chips, no matter how you look at it. And after that pot, Miles had almost 200 million, and Dyer was down to 100 million. So that was really yeah. the first real damage um, done and to Michael Dyer. Yeah, and it's interesting too because this is one of those spots, and I've seen people do this at poker tables before, where you're the you're this big chip stack, and you're you're destroying the table, and then you take these unnecessary lines or unnecessary spots to basically give control of, of the table away when you could have just, you know, folded. Yeah, you wanted to fold pre-flop. You actually wanted yeah. to throw away your king-queen right. right then. Yeah, I mean, if they're allowing you to run them over and steal, like, three-quarters of the pots at the table pre-flop, then just keep stealing the blinds all day. Yeah. <laughs> and then when you meet resistance, know that they have a hand and go move on to the next one. Yeah, I like um, it. I like so it. So, you know, I, and, and like I said, I mean, you, you essentially, like, 
if you think of your chips as bullets, like you basically just get like handed over half your arsenal and to the enemy and said, here, you have these bullets and I'll just be over here digging a trench, you know? Yeah. And I don't remember reading that in art of war, but I don't think it's correct. No, <laughs> I don't think that's what you're supposed to do. No. So, I mean, you know, obviously no one's perfect and everyone makes mistakes at the table. Um, Michael Dyer is a fantastic poker player. He absolutely blew my mind with uh, some of the plays that he made and even some of the folds that he made, you know, given he had such a loose image and it looked like he was a wild, wild guy. But there were times when he just got out when he should. And, and sometimes I was uh, really impressed. By the way, this hand was uh, specifically highlighted by um, a listener named Danny M. So I want to give him a shout out. Thanks for writing in on Twitter. Danny M at Euro LA 09. So, uh, yeah, we, we gave you the hand that you wanted. Um, Derek, you got time for another hand or two? Sure. Fantastic. Uh, so same blind level, 600K, 1.2 million with 200 ante, still four-handed. Um, and this is this will be a quick one. It's just a pre-flop decision. Uh, Nick Mannion, who if Michael, if uh, Tony Miles has been straight ahead, Nick Mannion has basically been like page one of any poker book. <laughs> you know, hands from group A, hands from group B, like, like really, like very, very predictable, straightforward, uh, uncreative player. And I don't really mean that as harshly as it sounds. Many times the correct strategy to play uh, is the one that's in the book. And, you sure. know, Mannion has been a short stack at this table forever. And this hand is no exception. Um, he's gotten it up to $25 million, which is good for fourth place and the next highest is 78 million so he's not even close to third place he's fourth place last place right now and it's not even close uh he has 25 million chips so it's about 20 big blinds m of 10 however you want to look at it uh he's under the gun with ace queen so how do we play this um who's uh do you happen to know the position, like who's yes in what um, spots behind him? Yeah, so he is under the gun, and next to act on the button is oh yeah, this is the same setup as that last hand we discussed. So the button is Michael Dyer as before, John Sin okay. in the small blind, and Tony Miles in the big. Yeah. So I like that Dyer's on the button. Because it's, he's our most likely candidate to three about his light here. Yeah, yeah, I like that too. Um, that makes me kind of want to just raise, in hopes of inducing a three bet from him that we can just get it in with. Um, I don't think Miles is going to do anything in the big blind. Nobody three bets out of the small blind. That's not true, but um, I think I, I think I like just raising here. Okay. Um, I think if I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of what twenty is a lot. I'm trying to think of how many big blinds I would sho just shove this at. By the way, if anyone can hear singing, my neighbor is like, I think she has an audition tomorrow or something. So, oh nice. <laughs> I don't I know. Can't even hear it. Oh okay. I was wondering if the microphone was uh, picking it up or not. But yeah, there's some uh, very nice but pretty loud singing coming from next door. <laughs> I wanted to address <laughs> it. This is like life in New York. When I try to do a podcast, there's either uh, an ambulance going by or someone singing <laughs> in the hallway. <laughs> Welcome uh, to my world. Yeah. So I think I would shove something like 13, 14 bigs here. 
Yeah, maybe even a little less, but I, I think raising here is good. Okay, yeah. So twenty. Uh, I mean, twenty big's a little want too to big. Get action here, like we want to get, we, we want to get this in. I think. Yeah, I mean, and ace I queen is a very strong fold. hand. Forehand. Yeah, people are just gonna fold too much when we shove. I think. Yeah, so that's why I included this hand in our discussion today because you know the guy's been really quiet. He's been waiting to pick up a hand, and he just he just shoved all in with this one. Now I don't think it's uh, negative EV to shove ace queen under the gun with this chip stack at this table. Like it's certainly not um, a losing play. Uh, let's take that off the table. But I don't know if it really maximizes his expectation or helps him really improve his chances of getting back into the tournament unless somebody wakes up with ace-jack because I think ace-jack has to call. I think ace-ten should yeah. probably call too, um, even though it's you know it's a pretty big chunk of almost everybody's stack. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult... Uh, it's a difficult hand to screw up, but if he if he raises, say he makes it 2.5x, right, or whatever. Let's say he just makes it a minimum. Like that's been the table standard here is just mm-hmm. to make it 2.4 million, and then he gets one caller, and then it flop comes like seven five deuce. Uh, is he gonna? Is Nick Mannion really gonna suddenly figure out how to like triple barrel get it in? I mean, I think maybe for him. Just shoving here is is the best play because I'm just not sure he's going to be able to handle things well when he doesn't flop an ace or a queen. Yeah, because I think you do have to be willing, especially if you get flatted by the big line. Like you've got to be pretty willing to bet. Yeah. Pretty much every board. You've got you a know? continuation bet, and then not give up when you just get one caller. Yeah. You know, what I'm seeing a lot, um, you know, in reviewing this World Series, especially the main event, is there seems to be a, a great deal of single barrel bluffing on the flop with a very, very small continuation bet and then shutting down if you get any type of action at all, which I think is a terrible strategy because when you bet really small, you offer your opponents attractive odds to continue and then you reward them for continuing by shutting down and you might end up folding the best hand. You know, ace-queen is probably still going to be good on the flop even if the flop doesn't hit you, you know, provided that the, the flop was seen heads up. Right. So, yeah, I I don't know. Um, it, without a decent short stack strategy, then perhaps shoving is the best move for this player. But I think you know, for a more experienced or or just a you know a, a stronger short stack player, I think making a standard raise like you suggested, and then just being able to avoid big mistakes after the flop, because once you put in a certain percentage of your stack those mistakes become just devastating. Right. And you can't avoid them by shoving, but that doesn't really maximize your expectation. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, the other thing too is we're, we're the short stack at this point. We need a hand. I don't want to get my stack from 20 big lines to 22 big lines because it's the same stack. Right. <laughs> it's a, a little, you know, it's effectively the same stack. I We need to get to 40 big lines or at least, you know, at least – Raise, get called, see bet, and get us to like twenty six or whatever. Like, I, I'm I, I'm not about this increasing my stack by two big blind life. Yeah. <laughs> in this position. No, I I agree a hundred percent. Even though, even though, increasing by two percent or two big blinds is a ten percent increase. Sure. Ten percent is nothing to sneeze at. Yeah. But you know, if you wait this long to finally pick up Ace Queen, you might want to 
try to get more out of it. But, you know, I feel like I'm being a little hard on Mannion. It's just, you know, everybody shows up at the main event with whatever uh, set of skills and whatever kind of experience level they have. There are plenty of times when I sit down and I can look around the table and be like, I am the worst player at this table. (laughs) So I don't want anyone to mistakenly think that I'm trying to say, you know, I'm great and he's no good. He's obviously done something right, guys. He's he's in the top four of the most important tournament of the year. So I'm not yeah. trying to say he's a terrible poker player. It's just I think for him, maybe shoving is best, but I think that uh, for a more experienced player, a stronger player, uh, there are there is a better way to play ace-queen in that spot. Okay? So let's do another one. Let's do it. All right. So later on, same blinds and same positions. Again, Nick Mannion is under the gun. And this time he has ace-jack, but his stack has bumped up a little bit. Like he won that hand with the ace-queen. He shoved and took it down. Then I think he ended up uh, winning another pot. It might have been blind versus blind, and he ended up winning it. Anyway, now he's got 24 big blinds. He's got 28.4 million in chips. His M is 12. He's still in distant fourth place with John Sin in third place with 75 million. So we have 28.4, and the next smallest stack is almost three times that. Ace-Jack under the gun with 24 big blinds, M of 12. What do we do? <laughs> See, now this one I almost don't mind shoving with 20 big blinds, but now I'm trying to figure out <laughs> with 24. Um, I, it feels to me like the classic, if we shove this, we're not... We're, we're literally only getting called by better hands. Yeah, can you get called by worse? Does Ace-10 call? Yes, yeah, now I think we're getting into that range where I don't even think Ace-10 calls. Not with 24 big blinds. It's just too big of a of yeah. a chunk. So you're hoping for a coin flip, which is also fine because you could use a coin flip when you're, you know, you you have one-third of the next biggest stack. Is, yeah. is your, I mean, if there was ever a time to try to get into a coin flip, this might be it. Sure. Yeah, I think I would just open like min. Yeah. And probably just give up when if somebody three bets this because I don't really see anybody doing that against the short stack opening under the gun. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I think we can like pretty comfortably fold when we get three bet. The only if dire three bets me, I'm gonna be a little bit tilted about having to fold. <laughs> Uh, because he might be the one guy who's capable and creative enough to do it, knowing that that's exactly what we might be doing. Well, then maybe we four-bet shove over Dyer, but fold to everybody else. Yeah, I think I might still fold to him, maybe, but pro- but if if I'm going to shove, if I'm going to four-bet shove on somebody, it's going to be him, obviously. I mean, if you can go back and review some of the hands that he's chosen to put into his three-betting range. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> at this table, you you'll love Ace Jack as a show. Yeah, because um, I do think like I do think Dyer like Dyer might three bet Ace Ten here. Oh, oh sure, he, yeah, he I would, think he's the one guy. He would three bet a lot of hands, but what what could happen? And I'm not sure what Dyer would think if he saw a min bet, a min raise under the gun from Mannion, who just shoved a few uh, orbits ago with the uh, Ace Queen that we never saw. Because he never have to, he did not have to turn it over. But you know, if you shove once or twice, and then all of a sudden you min bet, that can actually be scary, right? Right. That for sure. that could freeze Dyer and make him say. And normally I like to three bet with a wide range, but here's this guy that keeps shoving, and all of a sudden he wants action. 
Yeah. Yeah, this could look like a huge hand, and he does block pocket aces, so he might as well represent them. You know. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. I mean, I've done that myself a few times. Like, if I've taken it down with really big bets pre-flop, then I'll just, you know, pick a a random hand to just min-raise on my button. And then they'll say, oh, this is the guy that shoves every time it's on his button. I'm talking about when I'm short-stacked, right? Right, right. And then they'll say, oh, I think it scares them when you do something different after they've, they've already sort of picked up a pattern on what you're doing. So that could actually work in his favor. Um but yeah, I agree with you. This stack is too big to shove, even for Nick Mannion. Um, but he does shove, and he takes it down. So, well played. Yeah, I mean, it worked <laughs> out for him. But I just don't know. Like, here's a spot where he could have gotten back into the tournament. Like, what if he had made a standard raise with Ace Queen, gotten a caller, and then bet the flop and got called, and then, uh, you know, turned a pair on the turn and and bet, and then the other guy finally folds. Now he's he's starting to build a stack. Yeah. And then he's got, you know, 30 big blinds instead of 24 by the time he picks up ace-jack, and he can actually play it more normally. Yeah. So, you know, there's a real skill around these, what Daniel Harrington called uh, inflection points, like this type of range, like where you've got 20 to 30 big blinds. It's a very difficult stack to play because every single chip you put in the pot matters so much. Yeah, so, I, I absolutely think it's the most difficult stack size to play it's it's what it's why like when you lose a big pot or something and you're left with 10 10 or 11 or 12 big blinds you know you always kind of joke well at least at least i know i only got one play yeah at least <laughs> i don't have 20 and i'm gonna have tough decisions <laughs> yeah like, this is easy and then you, you know you get you get to like 35 plus range and you're like oh i can you know i can raise fold my entire range i can maybe even three bet once kind of light like you have all kinds of options but yeah you get to that 20 point it's like Man, you know, you start to think about, oh shit, okay, if I raise this hand, well, that's investing like two and a half bigs, and then I got a C bet, like another two, all of a sudden I'm down to sixteen bigs. Ah, I fold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, when you get these hands, like it's it's why you know when you do get them and you are at this stack, you gotta you gotta make sure you do it right. And I'm not saying what I do is always gonna be right, or even what I'm saying he should have done in these spots is always right. But it just shows how crucial it is. Absolutely. And there are so many ways to approach the game and, and different things to think about. And, you know, one thing that we can sit here in our pajamas or whatever and talk about, but these guys are playing for millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't blame them sometimes for taking the lower EV, but just more decisive, uh, I'm not going to screw this up kind of route. And certainly shoving 24 bigs with ace jack at a four-handed table under the gun is not a negative play it's not right yeah and kind of like you said too earlier like especially if you think there's a chance you're going to mess it up post-flop right but how many of us actually are honestly going to be able to say yeah i'm probably going to screw that up so no we all think we're better than we are right (laughs) yeah all right so let's do one more Derek, because it's really interesting and it has to be done with the others Sounds good. All right. So this will be the last hand for for this episode. Uh, So let's make it count, okay? Uh, Much later, almost at the end of the level, but we still at the same level. And actually, oddly enough, the same positions again. So it's Dyer's button again. But this time, Dyer is second in chips with $87 And Tony Miles has $210 in the big blind. Uh, Nick Mannion folds. Um... John Sin at this point had 75 million. So the stacks again are Tony Miles with 209 and Michael Dyer with 87. Uh, John Sin 
has seventy four million, and uh, Nick Mannion, as before, is in that twenty five ish big blind range. Okay. okay, so that's where we're at. And Mannion folds anyway, so don't worry about him. Uh, Michael Dyer has ace jack offsuit on the button, and opens to two point four million. Johnson folds the small blind, and Tony Miles three bets to nine point two million. Very similar to the first hand we discussed tonight. <laughs> Action on Michael Dyer with ace jack on the button. Well, if we're calling king queen in this spot, I would say we're calling ace jack. Or did we call king queen and learn our lesson? (laughs) (laughs) Very good point. So at first I was only thinking in terms of either calling or folding, but now I'm starting to think, does a a four bet ever make sense here? Okay, well, let's look at it. Um, Yeah, if we four bet, we'd probably want to make it like at least... What, like twenty million? Twenty five yeah, million? I, yeah, I'd probably want to go a, sh- a tad over twenty, like twenty two or something. Okay, so yeah, if we put in twenty two of our eighty seven wow. million, that is a pretty big chunk there, right? I mean that's about a quarter of our stack. Um, which is fine. We have ace jack four handed against uh and we have the dynamics of the button versus big blind. Um Yeah, I mean I you could certainly make a case for it. Um, uh, yeah. It's just so much of my stack. I don't know how comfortable I am. The it, case for against all the reasons it, we talked about. Yeah. And, and and another reason maybe we haven't talked about, which is, you know, it really feels like sooner or later Nick Mannion's gonna shove twenty five big blinds and run into Kings, right? Right. So we might as well start putting in the light four bets after that happens. Yep. You know? Yeah, I feel like until until I get some evidence that that Miles is doing this light ever, I just don't know that I feel like I want to get that I want to go crazy with the King Queen Ace Jack type of hands. All right, so you want to just call and see a flop? Yeah, I think so. All right. I, I don't. I don't. I'm not sure why I feel like this one isn't a fold, but I mean, I guess just because it's a stronger hand than King Queen. Um, Michael so, Dyer yeah. folded that hand like it was on fire. Wow. As soon as that three bet went in. The, so he did learn his lesson. <laughs> that ace jack hit the muck so fast. And it really impressed me, Derek, because ace jack forehanded is a pretty strong hand. And especially by now, Dyer must have known that the other time it was ace nine. Right. Yeah, I wonder if he did have that information. Now, of course he did. This was way later. This okay, was almost okay. the end of the level. Okay, so yeah. Yeah, so yeah, that that makes it interesting too. Then yeah, and, and just I mean, he threw them away like they were just absolute garbage, and to me that was so impressive. And these are kind of the little things. Like if you just watch like a highlight reel, or the you know the packaged ESPN like one hour edition of, you miss these little hands that don't make the coverage. But you know this is a guy that's he he trusts his read. He he did not take long to fold at all. And yeah, it's funny you mentioned a read because I'm now I'm wondering if maybe by this point in the tournament he had developed a little bit of a read. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure that he had, you know, because he was he was studying and and paying attention, and there must have been something that tipped him off. As it turns out, he was in horrible shape. Miles had jacks. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because I I can tell you like usually 
when I snap fold like that to like a three bet or something, it's because I've picked up some sort of tell, tell or something yeah. on my opponent so that I, I already know I'm folding. I'm just waiting for him to put his chips in because he's already done the thing that I know he does when he has a strong hand. Right, <laughs> you know but you're I mean? going to wait. You're going to wait, of course. Be polite. And let him let him do his Hollywood and then yeah. just, you know, let's move on to the next one. Yeah, you know, the other thing is, you know, Dyer's stack is much shorter than it was in the other hand. So, you know, maybe calling off, putting in 9.2 pre-flop when you only start with 87 that's more than 10% of your stack. Maybe he just doesn't feel like getting into it with Tony Miles, given the read and also the fact that, you know, if he loses this pot, he's going to drop down to third place. Uh, you know, right. all of those considerations. Because now, you know, John Sin is right on his heels. Uh, now, that's not the way to think when you're playing, you know, w- when you're playing the final four of a final table, you shouldn't be thinking about, like, who's about to take over my spot because the only spot that matters is where you finish right right but that might have entered his thinking like why is this hand strong enough for me to go to war with tony miles who now knows that i know that he knows that i know he had ace nine before right yeah yeah Yeah, that's when all the level wars start to come in yeah and and you know Miles now has a stack that's big enough that we're gonna we're gonna see a c bet pretty much 100 percent of the time so we're committing ourselves to that fact and now he's also got double barreling chips that he didn't necessarily have before. Yeah, and they might, and he, things have been going well for him, so he might be playing better. Most people play better while they're winning. Yeah, and they just make generally good, dis, better decisions when they're not worried about all the chips they've lost, and they're focused on the decision they need to make now. So yeah, he might see bet more properly. He might just make better decisions overall. And you know, with my image having taken a big hit from all the pots I've lost in the last couple of hours, maybe it's better to just. Throw away the ace jack. It's almost break time, and then we'll come back and get back in there and fight after we stretch a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, I, as I've mentioned almost every episode the last two months, Michael Dyer impressed me so much at this table. I don't think that he's gotten enough um, acclaim from the poker community for how well he played. You know, obviously yeah. things didn't end up going his way. He doesn't win the the bracelet or whatever. That doesn't mean that he didn't play his butt off because he really did. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I, I definitely remember him being the guy I was most impressed with play-wise. Yeah, uh, and also didn't waste a lot of time, which I really love. It makes it so much more fun to watch. Yeah. Where I don't have to keep fast-forwarding. Like, has he made a decision yet? You know, he was decisive. He didn't waste anybody's time. He tanked when he needed to, but otherwise it was, a, you know, very timely betting. Uh, I like the guy. I like his style a lot. So... Yeah, I had to. Um, I got curious, and I had to look up, look him up on Hendon Mob to see what he's been kind of up to since then. And I think I saw him in the Bahamas. Yeah, it looks like he had. In fact, he won a tournament. Oh, there, I see. There you go. Um, the five K No Limit Event Five for three hundred thirty-six K. Yeah. So he's still out there plugging away. Well, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, he's a killer. So. Someone I hope to not see in Vegas, unless it's yeah. to do an interview. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Please stay off of our table. Yeah. yeah. All right, so what else is going on at uh, TPE before we say goodbye? Pretty much just uh, prepping up for the series. You know, like you said, we got the uh, we got the meetup coming, which I'm, uh, I'm super excited about. Tell um, the folks sure when and where one more time. Yeah, so it's May 31st. Um, 
7 p.m. at P.T.'s Pub. Anybody who's been there in the past uh, knows the, the location that we do that. But it's on the corner of Flamingo and Decatur, so it's it's close to the Rio. You could walk it, but I don't recommend yeah, it. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> yeah, it's a little sketchy yeah, jump, over there. Yeah, yeah, jump in an Uber, especially if you're traveling at night. Um, yeah, and it's always a good time. You know, free food, free drinks. Uh, we get the shuffleboard lined up. We play some video games and stuff. It's It's always a lot of fun. So everybody come out for that. And then uh, if you're looking to prep up for the series, of course, um, got new videos coming out every week. We just got a new series in from Andrew Brokus. We got a new Daryl Jace series. And uh, I believe we've got a series in from Arvis as well. So lots of new content for you to digest on the plane. And, oh, and I have a code just for you, podcast listener. Well, not just for you, but also for you. Uh, if you use the code, discount code WSOP, you can get 20 months or $20 uh, off your first month. So, um there's really no reason not to sign up if you need if you need to get uh, sharp for the series. So the promo code again is WSOP and gets yep. you twenty dollars off your first month membership at Tournament Poker Edge. Derek, uh, great times, man! Thank you so much for uh, spending time talking poker with me today. I enjoyed it, and I uh, I can't wait to see you in like exactly a week. <laughs> yeah, I really hope to make the meet up, but if not, we'll we'll just have to have another party. It sounds like you got some parties lined up, so I'll I'll be there sooner or later. Sounds uh, good. If, not, if nothing else, we'll just meet up at the hooker bar on, uh, on dinner break. <laughs> that's what they call it, guys. It's not that that's not, that's not what we're there for. <laughs> no, no, I'm there for the bar part. I'm there. <laughs> that's right, absolutely. Well, uh, for Derek Tenbush and for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge. I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you guys for listening. I wanna hold them like they do in Texas plays. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. Lock in intuition, play the cards with base to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart.
every man knows she can't read a mouth broken face. She's got to love nobody. Every man, every man knows she can't read a mouth broken face. She's got to love.